With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, welcome to the One Foot Down podcast. This is Eric Murtaugh, editor of One Foot Down, back with you. This is our 31st episode. I'm going to be flying solo today. Uh, this is our first episode, uh, podcast in about a month. Um, so I just wanted to uh, go over some of the things that have gone on in Notre Dame sports over the past month, uh, starting with some of the opponent previews that have been rolling out uh, over the past month or so, starting, obviously, with Rice. Um, you know, it'll be an interesting team. I think that uh, a lot of what they are looking to do this year revolves around their quarterback play and if they can find some new players to get after the quarterback on their defensive line. If you read both my preview and some other previews that are floating around on the Internet, that seems to be the two keys, uh, the two questions that are facing the Owls this year. Uh, you know, Dreyfus Jackson's a bit of an interesting player. Uh, he started a couple games two years ago, and it was mostly a backup last year. Big athletic kid. Uh, I think he can pose some problems for Notre Dame uh, with his ability to run the ball. Um, Similar to the quarterback that I'm going to talk about uh, in a few games here, but uh, you know the big question mark with him is if he can stay in the pocket and uh, you know deliver passes on time. And I know a lot of Rice fans have been questioning his ability to to really run the the game plan that Rice wants to run with his with his throwing and all that stuff. So um, there was some thought that he would be competing with some other quarterbacks and some other younger players might usurp him, but it doesn't look like that was really the, the case through the spring. You never know what's going to happen uh, in the fall, but I would assume that he's probably going to be starting against Notre Dame uh, when the season opens up in late August. Uh, so that'll be interesting. I, I think that's going to be a really neat game for Notre Dame, especially with them unveiling a new offense under Brian Van Gorder. So, you know, hopefully we'll see some pressure and hopefully it pays off. Um, I, th I wrote this actually in the preview. I was, I think we're we're in a lot better of a position just for this specific game uh, with Brian Van Gorder because Rice doesn't have a defense to game plan against. And I think um, similar to last year with Temple, they would have had an entire offseason to game plan against Bob Diaco. And you know, say what you will about Bob Diaco, I do think he was a really good defensive coordinator for the Irish. Did a lot of good things, but uh, having an, an entire offseason to game plan against his his style. Um, usually doesn't bode well for him. And you saw it last year with Temple, a lot of short passes, uh, moving the pocket with the running back, or with the quarterback, excuse me, and uh, they had some success with that, even though we limited them to, I think, 14 points it was. Um, so we'll see how the defense plays against Rice. Um, I would expect Notre Dame to be able to move the ball pretty easily against their offense. I know we're kind of dreading that first series, maybe a three and out, and having that, oh boy, here we go mentality. But uh, I'd be surprised if they didn't score at least 30 points, and I would probably bet some money that they're being the 35 to 40 point um, area on that in that game. Uh, the second game is Michigan, obviously. Um, probably 
I don't know. You have to say this is probably the biggest game of the season, really. Both of the fact that this is the last game with Michigan in, well, we don't know how long. It could be 10 years. It could be 20 years. Last game in the scheduled series, night game. Usually Notre Dame beats Michigan. They go on to have a good season. Um, usually if they lose to Michigan, it doesn't pretend very positive things for the rest of the season. And you know what? Um, this is a very winnable game. Um, it it kind of stinks when you talk about this rivalry and everything because it, you kind of throw out all the analysis out of the window and just, like I said in the preview, kind of will come down to whether Michigan's quarterback is going to have a great game or not. Um, I'll be interested to see what it would be like if Devin Gardner just plays, you know, has an average game, maybe even a below average game, just to see what it would be like, uh, you know, because it hasn't been like that the past three, four years in this series. You know, they've been getting great quarterback play and not necessarily really great play from the rest of the team, and it's been able to pick, been able for them to pick up some wins. So, um, you know, who knows what we're going to see. I'm sure it's going to be a crazy atmosphere. Um the one thing that I will say is I think Michigan's defense is going to be pretty solid. Um, I do have some concerns there. I hope the offense comes out against Rice and plays well, and uh, Colson's not rusty, and we don't see him kind of doing some of the same things we saw in the spring game. I think it's really important to establish um, some momentum on offense in that first game. I, I think that's kind of why I don't really want to see Malik Zaire right off the bat, you know, whether it be in the red zone or anything like that. I really want to see Golson come out and really just own this offense. Um, we still have the, the fall camp to go, so I won't say that you know he's going to be the starting quarterback outright, but um, you know he it looks like this is his team, this is his offense. So uh, hopefully he can come out against Rice and Michigan and uh, have a really good game because I think that's going to be really important. Um, you know, I think we can do pretty well against their offense, um, they're losing a lot. They're still rebuilding their offensive line, looking for some answers at receiver. Um, we got a couple talented but big and bulky running backs that aren't going to really rip off big, long runs. Um, I kind of cross myself as we do that, as I say that. So, um, you know, I think even with our question marks on defense, you know, we have a talent there. Um, that's going to be a, a good matchup. But uh, I think we really need to play well against their, de their defense because I think they're going to be pretty strong. Lots of guys coming back. Um, Craig Madison's a pretty decent coordinator. The third game we've previewed already on the site is Purdue. Not a whole lot to say about Purdue other than that they're not very good. Um, clearly they've played Notre Dame tough the past few years. Not so much in 2011 when we kind of had an easy game in West Lafayette, but especially the last two games in Notre Dame Stadium, they've played really well. This is probably the worst team I think in major conference, I know, I believe football outsiders just came out with a revamped F-plus rankings, and they were the worst among all the major conference teams. So, you know, I don't really like to say things like, well, if we struggle with Purdue, then, you know, we're in, in for trouble or it's pathetic or anything like that because, you know, good teams, great teams struggle with poor teams. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a rivalry there. So, um, you know, if, if we're 2-0 and and we beat Purdue by – a touchdown or only 10 points or maybe it comes down to the last drive and we run up 3-0, and you know, we got to take it. Um, you know, we'll, if that ends up happening, we'll break down why it happened and what went wrong and why we still can't put a team like Purdue away when we should be, but uh, you know, can't complain with 3-0. Um, going up on the site tomorrow, I'm taping this on a Sunday, uh, 
will be the Syracuse preview. And I think Syracuse is a really interesting team. Um, you know, they were 7-6 and six last year, which I think kind of exceeded expectations for them. They were coming in with a new head coach, um, lost Doug Monroe to the Buffalo Bills um, here in western New York where I live. And um, you know, they lost a quarterback who was there for a long time, did really well, got drafted by the New York Giants, I believe. You know, the Syracuse tends to fly under the radar with their football cro- program anyway. They finished seven to six, seven and six. They're only ranked seventy fifth in the F plus rankings. Um, so if you want to go ahead and read that on the site tomorrow, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. They're bringing back a ton of bodies. Um, got a nice big athletic quarterback coming back. Um, special teams, everyone's coming back. You know, some good bodies on defense. Um, got. A little bit of talent there, you know. Obviously, they're not recruiting like a juggernaut, so you know their depth isn't going to be great, and you know the backups aren't going to be as good as some other teams in the ACC. But you know, this is kind of what you look at Notre Dame's schedule, and you see a team like Syracuse, and it's like, man, this isn't going to be a pushover game, I don't think. And then you had the whole return to uh, MetLife Stadium in New York or New Jersey, as it is. Um, and just, I know this could be a sneaky tough game. It, think this is going to be clearly uh, a couple steps above Purdue and um, definitely a couple steps above Rice, but um, I think Syracuse has a chance to be pretty good this year. Um, I don't really remember their schedule offhand right now, but, you know, seven or eight wins again, I would probably think they could they could probably do that again. Um, so go ahead and read that on the site tomorrow. Um, hopefully people enjoy that. Um, the next thing... I wanted to talk about, and it's one of the things that we've been talking about on the site a lot lately, is the field turf. Uh, we had a pretty uh, good discussion on, you know, what we're going to see with the designs and everything. Um, you could see from our poll, the most popular um, choice was to do something at midfield and keep the uh, the slash marks in the end zone. I think, you know, if you put some money down, that's probably what's going to happen. You know, they've been putting the monogram down on all the new fields, all the new field turf fields on campus. They've had it out for a while on the the practice facility and the outdoors. They just put the new one in on the indoor facility. Um, I'm not sure if the administration, I don't know who's going to be making the decision. I don't know if Brian Kelly even really has much input. Um, you have to think in the past they really never wanted to do it because of the tradition, yes, but also because the grass has just been so bad that painting something in color like that <laughs> could really look really horrible. So, you know, with the field turf, it's going to stay there. It's going to look a lot better. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I think we're about, I want to say, two weeks away from that project starting or so. Um, and it's probably going to take probably another month after that to at least see some semblance of a football field taking shape. And then uh, I wouldn't imagine they would start painting anything until, I don't know, early August or whatever. I know Jack Swarbrick said that the project should be finished by about mid-August. And, uh, you know, I'm interested to see if they practice in there um, during fall camp. You know, one of the big things with a field turf, and I don't think it's really been talked about enough, is the ability to go in there and practice. Um, now I know 
Brian Kelly has said himself that they probably won't practice a whole lot inside the stadium. Um, but, you know, getting maybe two or three practices in there in the fall I think is really important. I've always been a big believer in being able to visualize things, especially in the athletic arena, and uh, especially for, like, kickers and stuff, to be able to go in there and kick all the time. I know they probably do that anyway, but uh, with the rest of the team, I really like the ability to practice in there. You know, quarterbacks being able to get used to the sight lines a lot better. Um, you know, those passes down the sidelines are a lot easier when you're kind of more comfortable with everything, with the, the large surrounding area and all the seats and everything. So um, I really think that's going to be a big positive for the team. And um, also very interested to see, you know, if we kind of come out and look faster. I know that's probably going to be a, a heated argument. Some people will say, no, definitely we're a lot faster. And some people will say we are not. But, you know, I was just watching some... Uh, some films from in the past uh, for a series that I'll talk about here in a second, but uh, you know, there's been so many games in the past where the field is just a dump. So many slips, like both teams, yes, but also just a lot of Notre Dame players slipping all over the place trying to make cuts and just falling down. You know, I just I don't ever really understood why people think that 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 can be okay. I know you can still slip on field turf, especially when it rains, but you know, it's the perfect. 80 degree day and home opener and people are slipping all over the place. I just think that's unacceptable. So it'll be nice to see a lot more sure footing in Notre Dame Stadium. All right, the next topic I wanted to talk about was Jalen Smith moving on the inside. We had a films post from Lars that talked about what he did in the spring game, some of the things he did bad, some of the things he did good. Um, I've been a huge proponent of moving Jalen to the inside. Uh, I'm very excited that he seems to be have settled at that will linebacker spot, kind of that weak side middle linebacker spot. I think that's perfect for his skill set. Um, I don't think that Joe Schmidt's going to hang on to that other spot in the middle. Uh, I think Ben Council's going to take that. I don't know. That's just the way I, I kind of feel right now. I think that's my hunch. I think his knee has been progressing nicely. He should be available in fall camp. I think he should be available pretty soon here with uh, summer coming up and him being able to do drills. Uh, he's a big body. He can move well. I really love that they could team Consul and Smith on the inside. Um, that's going to be a really great pairing. Not not to say that Joe Schmidt's just going to fall right off the map. You know, I could still see him starting the first game or two, but I think Council's going to be hard to keep off the field. And Brian Kelly just mentioned in an interview talking about Jarrett Grace's injury. He looks to have suffered another setback, um, not probably going to play this year. I was kind of holding out the hope that he would play. But uh, they have to wait another three or four weeks to even see if he could be cleared. And, you know, I think the coaching staff tends to be a little bit more optimistic or not really tell us how bad things are. But, you know, it's been this long, and he's still limping around, and I think he still has to get into football shape, and who knows how far along he is mentally with Brian Van Gorder's defense, so um, not looking good for Jarrett Grace, which means Ben Council is going to be getting a look at middle linebacker, and that's exactly what Brian Kelly said. He might be a candidate to get a look in there. Um, Council could probably still play that strong side linebacker spot. If you remember my post from a while ago looking at the hybrid uh, defenses, I had Jalen Smith on the, on the inside at that weak linebacker spot. And I had Grace at the Mike spot with Council at the strong side 
um, spot. So, you know, Grace isn't there. I'd probably be pretty comfortable with moving Council over to the middle spot and then probably playing a lot more nickel. Um, I think that's probably what they're going to do this year. Uh, hopefully, Cody Riggs can step in right away. That's the player I had in that base nickel defense. Um, I think he's going to be someone who's going to be keep, hard to keep off the field and at the same time want to uh, develop Cole Luke at corner because um, who knows what Russell's going to do after this season. Hopefully he stays. Um, I think he's going to stay, but you never know. So you want Cole Luke to be able to get a lot of experience this year. All right. Um, next topic. Oh, other thing I wanted to say with Jalen Smith was um, – and I've always kind of envisioned him being a lot like C.J. Mosley, the middle linebacker at Alabama. Um, now, Alabama does play the 3-4. They do, like every team, they do a lot of hybrid stuff. They mix a lot of coverages and all that stuff. But um, I think I might be looking into some of his film and kind of seeing if Notre Dame can use him in similar ways. Um, you know, Mosley was just so productive out of that middle linebacker spot. And I think... People tend to, not so much now because I think they've come around to understand what Jalen can do from the middle of the field. And Lars has done a good job showing um, just how productive he could be there. But I think when people think of middle linebacker, they think, oh, he's just going to stop the run, and that's not really Jalen's strong suit. But you can do a lot of things with a with a linebacker out of the middle of the field. And Mosley was, you know, picture perfect, you know. Great on blitzing, very instinctive, kind of a sideline-to-sideline guy, picked up a lot of tackles, uh, very disruptive, lots of tackles for loss, even good in pass protection. So uh, um, that might be something I'll look at for the offseason, um, kind of going through some other projects now. Maybe that may, might be something um, right before fall camp that I'll get into. But uh, sneak preview, that might be something you'll see on the site in the future. Uh, the next topic I want to bring up is something that uh, I know – there's been some uh, angst with is the top 75 worst losses in program history. Um, not really sure why I wanted to do this. Um, I was looking for something to do that I could do week a weekly series. Uh, I was kicking around some other ideas, um, some film posts, and I was like, well, that's kind of more Lars's area and, and Berg's area and Peeburns. They do all that stuff. So it's like. You know, I, I think ranking the best wins has been done before, and it's kind of more difficult to do that. And I was thinking, well, how do you rank the wins? And I thought it was a lot easier to do with the losses, and I came up with that formula, you know, the championship, um, you know, the rivalry factor, stuff like that. And Doing that for the wins is a lot harder, I think, you know. Where did you put the three or four game bowl games where they won a national championship, and then you kind of have to get into more subjective things like what was the era like, and you know was Lou Holtz's lone national championship more important than say era's first title? And you're kind of weighing the how bad the eras were before that. And not to say that I'm not doing that a, a little bit with the losses, but with the wins, I think that's what you're really going on is a lot more uh, subjective factors and stuff like that. So I was like, you know. I don't think there's ever been a big list of Notre Dame's worst losses, and I know it's kind of heartbreaking to, to read some of it, but I do think it's kind of a, an interesting uh, series to read, especially for some of our, uh, well, I'd say probably most of our readers on our site 
don't have a, a great knowledge of the stuff before Lou Holtz. And, um, you know, I think it's kind of interesting to go back and reread some of those some of those games and how they lost. And, you know, kind of realize that, yeah, we've had some heartbreaking losses in, in modern times in the past 10, 15 years, but, uh, you know, there's been some really bad losses in the, in the past, especially with some really, really great Notre Dame teams, you know, you know, falling last game of the season, not winning a national championship, kind of having a, a, a W2F loss in the middle of the season to a team that wasn't really that good. You know, there's been a lot of really bad losses. Um, and as you'll see as the, as, the, as the series rolls on, you know, I tend to, that championship factor kind of has the most weight, 10 points. You know, you'll kind of see as we go on the, the losses kind of get more serious. There'll be a couple in there. Um, you know, 2008 Syracuse would be one that kind of sticks out automatically. Um, that kind of is, is ranked pretty high for a team that wasn't very good but still lost to a really bad team. But if for the further we go on, you know, the losses are going to be really important losses in terms of, you know, Notre Dame teams that were very good that had a chance to, you know, put their mark on history but didn't end up getting it done. So um, hopefully people look forward to that and generate some interesting discussion. All right, my the next topic is the NFL draft. It just finished up yesterday. Notre Dame with eight players drafted. Uh, I only thought seven would get picked. I uh, didn't think Bennett Jackson would get his name called. Um, good thing for him that he was picked. Um, so congratulations to him. Actually went a lot higher than I thought. You know, I thought if he did get drafted, he would be kind of one of those last. 20, 20 picks or so, but he went 187th overall uh, in the sixth round, 11th pick of that round. That's pretty good for him. Uh, went to the New York Giants. We'll see how things go with him. Um, most of the people think he's going to probably transi transition to safety, and uh, that might actually work better for him over the long run uh, at that next level. Of course, Notre Dame's highest draft prospect was... Zach Martin is 16th overall to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Clearwell nailed that one in our open thread, and uh, congratulations to him. And he's pretty lucky to be able to watch Zach Martin on his favorite NFL team now for the next 10 years. I can't I can't say that when I think of the Dallas Cowboys, I think of Zach Martin, uh, or vice versa. So um, that's kind of an interesting cultural fit, I think. Um, although Martin being from Indiana, he might fit in pretty well with a lot of the uh, the ruralness down there in Texas. Uh, but I think he's going to be a guard. I think that's what the Cowboys want him to be, and I think he's going to have a really great career. Um, 16th overall, that's that's just, that's awesome. Awesome for him, awesome for the program. You know, what, There's not much else you can say. Just great player for Notre Dame, and he deserves every bit of it. No one else went in the first round. Not terribly surprising. I did have Lewis Nix going in the first round. I was way off on that one, as was a lot of other people. Uh, Stefan Tuitt was the next Notre Dame player drafted. 46th overall to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, great fit for uh, Tuitt, so that's good. You know, I think they needed some help along their defensive line. I think they, you know, I'm not super informative on the NFL, but I, I'm pretty sure that. Pittsburgh's defense has been aging for a while, so Tuitt should be able to get a lot of playing time early on in his career. The next pick was just a few 
later than to it was Troy Nicholas, 52nd overall to Arizona. Um, a little bit higher than people kind of thought. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of debate about whether Nicholas should have left school or not. Um, as a true junior, he, he left early. Hasn't been a whole lot of people that have done that, and we just kind of had, you know, a bunch of guys do it this year. But, uh, you know, Nicholas, I think he's going to have a good career. He's got the size. Um, you know, he's, he's got the whole package. I don't, I'm not sure he's ever going to be a, a hugely dynamic uh, receiving tight end, um, especially if Arizona doesn't get their quarterback situation figured out. So it might be a couple of years, two or three years, before Nicholas uh, starts catching a lot of passes down there. Uh, the most interesting part of this whole draft has to be Lewis Nix. He goes 83rd overall to the Houston Texans. Now, I've already had the uh, one of the managers from the SB Nation Houston Texans blog ask me some questions about Knicks. And he was, you know, basically saying, you know, was this a steal for the, the Texans? And I immediately said, yes, it was. And he's like, well, what are his strengths and weaknesses? And I kind of told him that about what I thought Knicks did well and what he didn't do well. But, you know, I think there's a combination of you know, that the game's kind of passing the, these huge, hulking war daddy nose guards by a little bit. You know, even the past year, teams have passed the ball an insanely a lot more than in the past. Uh, I remember seeing something about plays from shotgun, and I don't know, went up like 18% last year, and it's just been this huge increase of passing, and, you know, just. just Having run stoppers like Lewis Nix just aren't, aren't is important anymore. That being said, I still think that he's going to be really good at, in Houston. That's an awesome fit for him. Um, it kind of stinks that he's not going to be getting, you know, a nice signing bonus or anything like that that he probably would have received in the late first round. But uh, you know, they have Clowney and Watt now at defensive end with Nix in the middle. Sounds like he could be the starter. I mean, they from what I've in the conversations I had with the this guy from the Houston Texans blog, um, they've been waiting for a true nose guard like Nick's for a while. So, um, you know, hopefully he'll uh, be able to uh, go into camp healthy. I think his knee looks healthy. Uh, maybe slim down a little bit. I don't know. They might bulk him up even more. Who knows what will happen. But I have no doubt that Lewis Nix is going to be a great NFL player. And uh, we're going to look back and wonder why he was picked 83rd overall instead of, you know, 25th overall. Maybe the biggest surprise of the whole draft was Chris Watt going 89th overall to San Diego, uh, a late third-round selection. Um, I saw someone from Notre Dame tweeted out that he was the highest picked guard by Notre Dame, or from Notre Dame, excuse me, in 20 years. That's just amazing to me. Um, I always thought Chris Watt was really underrated. Um not amazingly dominant in the run blocking, but when you factor in how well the team has passed blocked, you know the guards are responsible for that too, especially with the uh, with the center. And uh, Watt, I thought, really excelled in that area, especially last year. And I think that might have paid off this year with teams looking at him. Um, I thought he was more of a fifth, sixth round guy, but if he goes in the third round. That's just awesome. Again, just great for him and great for the program. Prince Shembo drafted 139th overall by Atlanta. Goes a little bit higher than I thought. Um, 
I'll be interested to see what they do with him. I don't really know much, that much about Atlanta's defense. Um, I want to say they run a 4-3, but I'm not sure about that. Uh, if he is in a 4-3, I think that's going to be tough for him to be a defensive end, and I'm not really sure that he has the skills to be a 4-3 linebacker, so um, I'm sure someone's going to be typing in the comments section, they run the 3-4, he'll be fine. But if it is a 4-3, I think it's going to be a hard time for him to uh, hold down a position. So I, just, I don't think he'll be cut right away, but I think that's going to be tough with him. I already talked about Bennett Jackson. Um, TJ Jones, a bit surprising here. He only goes 189th overall to the Detroit Lions. Very surprised that they a team waited that long to, t to take Jones. Now, I know it was a really good draft for receivers. And, um, you know, not there probably could have been two or three more wide receivers that went in the first round, so those picks were kind of pushed back even further, which then pushed Jones back further. But, I mean, he almost went undrafted, which would have been really crazy. Um, and, I, you know, there's that happens to players every year, really good players in college. Um, I know there's lots of talk about uh, Jackson Jeffcoat from Texas, All-American defensive end, doesn't even get, doesn't even get drafted, so, uh, you know, that tends to happen. Uh, but luckily Jones does stick on with the team. Um, I think he'll do pretty well in Detroit. I, you know, I, I respect what Jones did at Notre Dame. Um, I think he was a great player last year, really improved, very smart, tough, and everything. But, you know, it... It takes a lot to survive in the NFL at his size, so hopefully he can do it. So that was all the draft picks for Notre Dame. Uh, we've also, in our, in our story stream, which we've almost never used on our site, we decided to break it out over the weekend. A handful of players have signed free agent contract deals. Uh, Tommy Reese signs with the Redskins. Uh, Dan Fox signs with the Giants. Kona Schwenke with the Chiefs. Carlo Calabrese with the Cleveland Browns and George Atkinson with the Oakland Raiders. Tough to say what, what's going to happen here. I know someone, I think, on our site maybe said that the Chiefs need help at defensive line and Chunky should be able to catch on there. Um, I'm not sure that I would put a whole lot on that. I wasn't really super impressed with him last year. I think he could be a good penetrating 4-3 tackle. Um, if that's what the Chiefs are looking for, then I think maybe that's what he could do pretty well. Um, in terms of like stopping the run and playing physical, I think he struggles a little bit for a guy his size. Fox and Calabrese, uh, God, I don't know. I mean, they kind of have practice squad guys written all over them for a year or two, and then maybe in a couple of years they'll hang on somewhere with a team and maybe make a team. But uh, I can't say... Right now, in my mind, that their their odds are, are very high of making a team. George Atkinson uh, left early, doesn't get drafted. Not a big surprise. He goes to the Raiders, his dad's former team. Um, you know, it's it's tough. He's going to have to be more than just a kick returner to probably make their roster. Is he? Can he do that? I don't know. Do you think with the way that he ran as a running back that? him running down and tackling guys uh, as a special teams player probably isn't going to happen. So um, unless he's blowing people away in, in camp with his return abilities, I don't know. I, I think that's pretty tough. Uh, that's going to be a tough one for him to, to hang on with Oakland. So that leaves Tommy Reese. 
uh, going to the Redskins, as I said in the uh, in the in the story stream, they're pretty well stocked at running at quarterback right now in Washington with RG three and and uh, Kirk Cousins. Um, McCoy's there now as their third string quarterback. Um, I don't know anything about their contract situations or if you know they're thinking about cutting McCoy, but I, I just have a hard time seeing Reese hanging on there. You know, most teams don't even like to carry three quarterbacks, so um, you know that's going to be tough for uh, Tommy Reese. But you never know; he surprised a lot of people at Notre Dame. So good luck to all the players, uh, and congratulations to everyone that was drafted. Um, he did Notre Dame really proud. Eight guys picked in the draft is awesome. All right, my second last second to last topic. I wanted to talk about the commit of C.J. Sanders. Uh, Diminutive, I shouldn't say diminutive, a smaller receiver originally from uh, Tennessee. He's transferring out to California. He'll be playing his senior year at Sherman Oaks, Notre Dame, a school that Notre Dame fans are very familiar with. Good player. Um, looks to have really good speed. Um, ran, I think he runs track, so he's done pretty well in that regard. Uh, the thing that stuck out to me watching his tape of this toughness, and uh, I have to say, you know, I, I was watching his tape, and I think, you know, he's probably going to be one of the players that could get a look on defense, specifically corner at his size. Obviously, I think he's probably five nine, so five nine, maybe five ten. He could be a good corner. So, um, whether he sticks at that slot receiver position or not remains to be seen. I'm just throwing it out there. He could play corner. Um, and the last thing I wanted to talk about was recruiting. Notre Dame has eight commits, I believe. Let me double-check that. Yep, eight, eight commits. Um, most of them are on offense right now. Blake Barnett at quarterback. Uh, Jalen Guyton at wide receiver. Sanders, who I just talked about, also at receiver. And then you have uh, Hodge, Ruland, and Tillery as the offensive lineman. Uh, and the, no one else on defense except for a couple of safeties, McKinney and Fertitta. Um, Fertitta is going to be a corner at his size. So, you know, I'm kind of looking at the roster right now and, and thinking, you know, where's the focus going to be this summer? And I think it's going to be a really big summer for Notre Dame. We've talked about on the podcast before and on the site that the, the bad weather, the, this terrible winter that lasted forever kind of put a team like Notre Dame behind the eight ball, uh, as far as recruiting goes, you know, some of the Southern teams could bring guys in. And I think rightfully so, Notre Dame kind of held off and didn't quite schedule as many visits as before. Also, some players canceled visits. Um, not necessarily a bad thing. You know, eight players right now is it, a solid, it's a solid uh, base for this cycle, especially when you have a guy like Barnett at quarterback. And uh, with the offensive line there, you know, that's pretty much wrapped up and taken care of. So... It allows the staff to focus on some other areas, and I kind of jotted down the areas that I think they're going to focus on in the summer coming up over the next few months before the season starts. Number one would be running back. You know, I think this has to be, at least in my mind, I think this is the number one tar targeted uh, position right now. You know, Cam McDaniel's graduating. We only have three running backs right now as it is. You know, that's kind of a scary situation in the depth chart. Um, I think you definitely have to sign two. You know, they've been really trying to 
target guys that are highly rated. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. They've been doing it for a while here under Brian Kelly. Tony Alford's doing his thing down south, targeting a lot of Florida guys, a lot of guys in the Carolinas, a lot of you know Georgia players, stuff like that. You know, also looking at some guys in Texas, and uh, you know, it, it, this is going to be an important summer for that position. Hopefully, that some players can visit, and I'll talk about some upcoming visits and uh, where Notre Dame stands there. But uh, you know, running backs to be really important. I think they gotta they gotta get bodies there, and not just one. Um, cornerback would be the other position I think they really have to focus on in this uh, cycle. It's been a while since we did a a scholarship roster update. Uh, maybe that's something we'll do soon here, since we now have eight commits. I think the last time we did that, there was maybe three. So um, corner, you know, there's going to be some guys cycling out of the out of the program here over the next year year or two and also like I said earlier Russell could leave early we never know what happens there Riggs is coming in he'll be gone um, after next year as a fifth year senior um, you know there's guys like Jalen Brown Matthias Farley are these players going to be coming back for a fifth year you never know so I think corner is really uh, a spot where they have to focus it's always been a, a you could probably say this has always been the, the hardest area for Notre Dame recruit, especially in numbers. They've always been it's been tough for them to hang on to, to commits and be able to bring in three or four corners. Not that you can really do that every cycle, but when they need to, which I think, you know, just looking at this this cycle, I think you could say, you know, three corners is probably what you want, especially with Fertitta already in there as kind of a borderline special teams player in terms of his talent level or perceived talent level. I think bringing in two more, you know, legit corners uh, has to be a big focus. And then, obviously, like I said, the numbers right now are all on offense. And um, they can be picky on defense in the front seven because of all the players that came in last year. You know, Blankenship, Trimbetti, Bonner, Hill, Williams, Hayes, Makwa, Cage, Morgan, Martini, and Sykes. That's just a ton of players in the front seven. So, you know, right now, like we always say, this this year the class is going to be a little bit smaller. Um, probably 18, 19, I think, is what we're seeing right now. So it's not like they can go do what they did last year and bring in 10 guys in the front seven. But, you know, they got to be picky, but you still have to get the players. So, you know, I think that's going to be a really interesting balance, you know, where are you going to maybe offer a three-star that you really like or are you going to hold off and shoot for that high four-star player, maybe even a five-star player that is uh, looking at Notre Dame. So, you know, one of the things that's coming up next month in June, I think it's, I want to say the June 22nd, is the camp for Notre Dame, and that's called Irish Invasion. They've given it a name this year, and uh, I think this is going to be really big uh, as far as getting guys to heat up. Um, maybe we'll see some of the players turn from cold to mild and maybe a couple mild to hots on our uh, recruiting big board. Um, you know, some of the players coming, the first one would be running back Josh Adams. Uh, I believe he's scheduled to come. You know, you can't really take everything these players say 100% um, serious right now. What often happens is the coaches go to see him, which they've been doing right now in their spring evaluation period. They go to see him, and they say, oh, yeah, I'll come. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely planning on coming, but, you know, a lot of these players end up pulling out um, over the next couple of weeks once the coaches leave and they don't feel as much pressure. So, 
But I think Josh Adams is definitely a player that's coming. Uh, coaches have him high on their on their radar. Um, I think there's some concern about whether he's a natural running back, and I think they're going to get a good look at him in this camp. Hopefully, um, you know, he, shoot, he shows them that he can play running back. Some of the concerns with him is just he's a little bit too tall. I think he's 6'2", maybe kind of almost 6'3". So that's really tall for running back. You know, I think George Atkinson, but even taller. So um, I really like Adams. I, I think I've been saying for a while, I think he's probably going to be one of the running backs that they'll sign for the cycle. So hopefully things will heat up um, when he comes to the Irish Invasion camp. Another player coming is Blake Barnett, the verbal committed quarterback. And I think he could play a huge role um, for the Irish Invasion. It's always good to have uh, a player like him um, already in the fold, able to recruit guys that are coming in, you know, especially some of the playmakers, you know, so, hey, you know, I'm going to be here, so you want to come join me? I, I'm, I'm a good quarterback. I'll be able to get you the ball, stuff like that. So Barnett's going to be a, a big key to this whole uh, Irish Invasion camp. Third player is tight end Chris Clark. Um, Again, he said he's coming. I don't think I would really take his word for it right now. Kind of surprised that Notre Dame's really still in this. I think Notre, I think Ohio State and Michigan have kind of pulled ahead after he decommitted from North Carolina. Um, I haven't really looked at anything from him. Maybe I've, over the past seven to ten days, I'm not sure where he's going to be visiting before or before the Irish Invasion camp. So, you know, he seems to fall in love with every place he goes. So in addition to his uh, rumored academic troubles. I'm not really sure what to think there. Uh, fourth player is uh, Jay Sean Cornell. Defensive end out of Minnesota. He's probably been the most talked about recruit, I think, this cycle. If you go back 12 to 15 months, you know this has probably been, at least from the fans' perspective, the top target for Notre Dame. It was at one point the number one player in the country, according to ESPN. I thought he fell a little bit in the rankings. Um, I still like him a lot. I know there's been some... Oh, how do you say this? There's been some consternation about whether Notre Dame's been recruiting him hard enough. I don't really buy into that all that much. Uh, if you look at, you know, people's tend to say, look at where a player visits and not what he says. Um, he recently visited Michigan State and said that Michigan State was... His leader, and then we, you know, a few days later, there was another report that uh, Notre Dame was still leading. I kind of get the sense out of this one that he has always liked Notre Dame. Um, I think he knows he's going to Notre Dame, but he's just kind of going through the process, taking some visits just to make sure. If you look at it, the places he's visited, I don't think it's really all that threatening to Notre Dame. He, visit, he did visit Michigan for the Notre Dame game back in the fall, back in early September. Uh, he hasn't been back to Michigan since. Um, you know, he went to Michigan State, which, you know, they could be a threat in this. I'm not going to say that they aren't, but um, I think that was his first visit to Michigan State. I don't know if he's going back. If he does, you know, the, then the threat becomes even bigger. But, you know, he's been to Notre Dame five times, I think, in the past year and a half. He visited last year, um, came for the spring, coming back for this Irish invasion camp. You know, I, I've always had good vibes out of him. I think 
people wanted to point at Bob Diaco and say that he wasn't recruiting him enough or Bob Diaco didn't like him. But I think that kind of just stemmed from the fact that Cornell didn't commit, you know, back in September, October, November when people kind of expected him to. And that's just, you know, people's way to make excuses, um, you know, point the fingers at the, the departing defensive coordinator because, you know, a couple of other stories popped up that he didn't like, you know, a couple other players that were three stars. But I just, I don't, I don't buy it at all. I have a hard time seeing Brian Kelly putting up with something like that with a, with a, with a five-star player, you know, at a, at a pipeline school and then. Bob Diaco saying, you know, I don't really like him. He doesn't fit our profile. And Brian can be like, okay, uh, I guess we'll just have to stop contacting him. I don't think that happened at all. I just think Cornell is always like Notre Dame. The the staff is in a hurry to rush him into a commit. They know that. They know that his family is in Notre Dame's corner, and I think it's always been that way. So uh, we'll see what happens when he comes to the Irish invasion camp. It wouldn't shock me if he ends up committing soon after. Another player hopefully coming is wide receiver K.J. Hill. Um, he's pretty electric. Uh, it would be really good to uh, get him on campus. The rumors are Notre Dame is still looking for at least two more receivers, which kind of makes me think that my, my thought of C.J. Sanders playing corner is something that the staff is open to. So, you know, I think that's a good idea. You can keep your options open. You know, quote unquote, bring in four receivers with the with the thought in mind that one of them is probably going to move to corner. So, um, not a bad idea to keep recruiting the receivers. So, so, Jamabo. I hope I say that right. I, I've heard people talk about him, and uh, I always kind of forget how to say the last name. But hopefully, he's coming. He's been someone Notre Dame's been on for a really long time. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, they've been trying to get him to visit for a really long time. It hasn't worked yet. Um, hopefully this isn't just one of those situations where the kid will back out at the last second. But as of right, as of right now, uh, he's supposed to be coming for the camp. Um, big kid, big running back, you know, like I said, it's going to be a huge uh, target this year for uh, this past summer. Another player hopefully coming is P.J. out. This name's hard. I'm not sure if the M is supposed to be pronounced in his last name. P.J. Manasor from uh, down in Texas. He was once a TCU commit. Um, again, corner, running back, lots of guys coming. Arthur McGinnis, we've just offered him. He's an outside linebacker. He said that he's going to be coming to Irish Invasion. Um, we'll have more about him in our next big board update. Um, there's a couple other guys that... I, there's still some uh, questions about whether they're coming to camp or not. I'm not going to really um, bring them up, up. The only guy I will talk about is Ryan Newsom, a wide receiver. Um, could say he's probably one of the top two or three targets for Notre Dame at wide receivers. He's blazing fast. Again, kind of a smaller receiver. Something that Notre Dame seems to be looking at a lot uh, in this cycle. So uh, if he makes it, it's going to be great. Um, another player, Natrez Patrick, didn't really seem like Notre Dame was was really uh, in on this recruitment a whole lot. Um, you know, I think he's from Georgia. You know, Georgia, and all the usual SEC teams kind of seem to be leading there. But if he comes to camp, that's really big. That'd be a really big uh, coup for the staff. Uh, Kelly Ross, another wide receiver, hoping to get him on campus for the Irish Invasion. 
Kendall Sheffield, someone who recently said, I think he, that he'd, he'd be coming to the to the Irish Invasion camp. Very highly touted corner. If they could get him there, make some waves there, that'd be great. Adonis Thomas is someone uh, I thought Notre Dame could really make a play for, and it looks like they're making their move now. Uh, if he comes, that'd be great. Jerry Tillery, uh, Notre Dame commit on the offensive line, will be there. Another guy that uh, can show up and try to get guys to rally around. Uh, everyone that's committed already, and they can work on some of these guys that aren't committed. So it's always good to have the guys that are already on board at these camps. Bo Wallace, uh, a bit of a surprise, a Louisiana kid um, down at Curtis, down in Louisiana. Great athlete. Um, I hope he sticks with this because I think he would do really well at Notre Dame. And then the last two players are Dexter Williams and Tyson Williams, two running backs. Um Hopefully both of them come. Dexter Williams is actually committed to Miami right now, and he said recently that he's coming to this camp. So who knows what Miami says about that. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for the One Foot Down podcast, our 31st episode. I'm Eric Murtaugh. Um, hopefully I'll be back talking with someone else. Um, and I'll be able to uh, tell you guys about some stuff we're doing over the off season, some of the new things we're doing. I um, hope you enjoy it. So I'm Eric, and I will see you later.